my dream job is like I've coached novice girls for six years and I feel like I have these moments where I'm like everybody must want to do this because it's the best job ever and then somebody says something to me like oh wow you're really a special breed that you like working with novices uh -huh. and I was like is that special because I think it should be everybody's priority mm -hmm. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Steady State Podcast, your rowing fix, where the water's flat, the catches are clean, and you can always hear the coxswain. We're revealing a narrative about rowing culture that celebrates the expansive array of rowers, coaches, and coxswains in a podcast designed to savor real life experience from launch to coxie at every level. We are really interested in backstories, the experiences on and off the water that make people the rowers, coaches, and coxswains they are today. And when it comes to rowing programs and initiatives, we're curious about who's behind the scenes creating opportunities for their communities. With that in mind, we took a trip to the George Pocock Rowing Foundation offices in Seattle to talk with Zoe Vase, the organization's middle school program specialist. She's also a coach for GPRF's Camp Lucy, a free learn to row camp for girls, inclusive of non-binary, trans, and gender non-conforming youth. From being a walk-on at the University of Washington to leaving a mark on Seattle rowing, Zoe offers a thoughtful look at slowly falling in love with the sport and the important role coaches play in young rowers' lives. Thanks to our patrons and Concept2 for helping make this episode possible. We're Rachel Friedman and Tara Morgan, and this is Steady State Podcast. Sit ready. Thanks for being here. Thank you for being here. Yeah, Thanks. excited to be here. My name is Zoe Faze. I'm the middle school program specialist at the George Pocock Rowing Foundation and head coach of Camp Lucy. Well, we're really glad to sit down with you today. And uh, could you tell us where we are? We're at the George Pocock Rowing Foundation in the George Pocock Memorial Rowing Center, colloquial known as Pocock Rowing Center or PRC. Our boathouse houses teams from the Ancient Mariners to the Pocock Juniors to the Pocock Adults. Can you tell us, do you know the mission statement by heart of the Pocock Foundation? Mm -hmm. yes, I do. Mm -hmm. Thank you. The mission of? The mission of the GPRF. Okay, now I'm going to be nervous about it that I got, I'm going to get it wrong. <laughs> the mission of the GPRF is to help young people access and experience the life-changing sport of rowing. Really? I yeah. did not know that that was the mission statement. It's a new mission statement. I was going to say yeah. that's new. It's new this year. We worked hmm. on it and worked on it and worked on it. So and... you're really focusing on kids. Mm -hmm. Interesting. That's great. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, Before so. we get too far into this, um, every episode, we like to put our guests in the hot seat. Great. Might be a hot seat for you, but it helps our listeners relate to you. So we have okay. some rapid fire questions. Oh my gosh. You ready? Okay. Sweep or skull? Sweep. Port or starboard? Starboard. Bow seat, stroke seat, or engine Bow room? Seat. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> options. <laughs> uh, sprint race or head race? Ooh, that's hard. Head race. Thank you. <laughs> Uni or tank and trow? Tank and trow. I don't know. <laughs> Shoes or barefoot on the earth? Shoes. Calories, watts, or splits on the monitor? Splits. Favorite Cox command to receive? Oh, um, the weirdest one I got was, you're the mean potatoes of this boat. <laughs> 
don't know what that is, but I think it got me pumped up. Huh. Like that wasn't some sort of insider. No, everybody was confused, but I was like, yeah. I think that means that I'm providing energy to the system. <gasps> I'm, I'm a good like carbohydrate. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like the sustenance of this. That's okay. Yeah. I'm just thinking about like mid race hearing that. And really then your brain's like, like, what does that mean? I felt like the whole boat went like, huh? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's the best place to row? Oh, Seattle. I don't know. This is the main place I've rowed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, describe the perfect stroke. Oh, the perfect stroke mm -hmm. almost doesn't feel like it required any effort because it's it's entered the water with no resist with no backwards resistance and it's picked up and accelerated the speed of the boat and it just feels amazing mm -hmm. great technical response i like it <laughs> i like it yeah uh all right coffee before or after a row after after okay that's it we're done <laughs> made it through rapid fire yeah thank you so much for playing our game <laughs> ding, ding. Same rapid fire questions or pretty much okay. yeah we've, we've been much. kind of massaging the list for a little while like yeah. it changes a little bit depending on if we're interviewing a coach coxswain mm -hmm. rower uh, yeah if they're a coxswain we'll say yeah. what favorite coxswain command to give mm -hmm. yeah. You know, yeah or you know we did have to change it up a little bit um not too long ago we interviewed um steven dowd dowd who is uh really not a he's becoming a rower but he got involved as an indoor para rower cool. and so we really asked some questions more about indoor yeah. rowing so although sometimes indoor rowers have coxswain sitting behind them screaming at them yeah, yeah that's true. I, i've seen that I feel like what a coxswain yeah. says to you on the erg is almost more critical i can't <laughs> handle oh yeah coxswain's talking to me when i'm on the erg it really i need it i need it i get so overwhelmed i, I crave it sign like one person who's allowed to talk to yeah. me on the erg and nobody else they were also supposed to hold off everybody else <laughs> <laughs> i always like pre-asked like when we were going mm -hmm. into a test i would be like alice she was great i was like i need you to just come walk by and reach down in my ear and go just get it done <laughs> you know <laughs> I think my request is not until the last 250. Like yeah. I'm just gonna, it's supper fest for me and yeah. it needs to be in my own head and then bring it the last 250, get on me about it. Yeah. So yeah. I feel like I have another, a new answer for my favorite call. Now that we're okay, yeah, yeah, go yeah. ahead. Um, when, when the coxswain like hones in on something personal to you, mm. especially if you didn't know that they were honed in on that. Like oh yeah my favorite call that i ever got was like when i had made it into a racing lineup at uw and my coxswain knew how much i wanted to like show my novice coach that i had done something and she had just been like hearing me talk about that and never said anything back and then she like put kaylee's name in our race plan yeah. and was like do it for kaylee mac and that oh, was like that's great that was cool because it made me feel connected to like what i cared about and also made me feel like my teammates in the boat with me knew what i cared about yeah which mattered. and yeah. that's some top level coxing there we yes. we talk about like level one level two level three coxing right which is how i teach you know. it to masters yeah mm -hmm. and i love that kind of at that point you are you might not realize it as a rower but the coxswains if they're really doing a great job just are absorbing all mm -hmm. the time mm -hmm. and 
plucking things out and tucking them away for yeah. a time that is really needed. Mm -hmm. I think that's so key. Yeah, yeah. that's a good yeah. coxswain for sure. Mm -hmm. All right. So we want to go back okay. a little ways. <laughs> you stepped foot on campus of the University of Washington. And you just like walk onto the team. How did that happen? <laughs> um, I did. I don't think I knew what rowing was. I there was like one or two people I knew from high school who rowed, but it was like a totally imaginary concept to yeah. me. I'm like, I don't know, something boats. <laughs> and um, and I got to campus. I had toured campus before and been like completely overwhelmed by it. I did not know, I had not known about UW. I didn't know anything about the campus. And then I got there and I was like crying at how big the library was because I thought I wouldn't be able to do my homework with that many, with like too many resources. Yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to find the book I need. And um, so I was like overwhelmed by the university big time, mm -hmm. but it also felt like a university. And I was like, maybe this is what I want. Um, and I got on campus and it's sort of a joke on campus during freshman welcome week, how much the rowers are recruiting mm. anybody who's above a certain height or below a certain height. Oh yeah, it's, it's legend. It's like, mm. yeah. And I felt like I had fallen for like a marketing scam. Cause I was like, <laughs> oh, I took the flyer. I'm gonna go to <laughs> the, the flyer. I'm really gonna go to the info meeting. Yeah. And everybody's like, oh, they got you. And yeah. I'm like, I don't know, did they? I don't know anything. <laughs> and so, um, I definitely got got by the rowers. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. She looks really strong. Her, her neck looks strong. I don't know what to say about that, but like this person is emulating strength and mm. poise in a way I haven't understood. Mm. And my high school sport had been water polo, which turns out doesn't exist very competitively outside of California. Mm -hmm. So, um, at least for colleges that I had looked at. So I was looking for a new sport. I was looking, I, in my high school water polo experience, we had been a pretty good team that didn't have, um, like anything that really pushed us to be great. And so I was like, okay, maybe what I'm looking for is any sport that will push me and my teammates to be great. And to really figure that part out, because that's like what was missing before. So rowing seemed like a good option. I've pretty much only done water sports. So I was like, here's one I haven't tried yet. We'll mm -hmm. do it. And I went to the info meeting. I don't remember a ton about the info meeting, um, but they were, had us like filling out paperwork. And I remember thinking, I think at this point it had been like two weeks into being on campus. And I had learned that if you don't say hi to everybody, you're going to miss the window to make friends. Mm -hmm. <laughs> everybody Aww. like buddied up mm -hmm. with a group real fast the first couple of weeks. So I was sitting there, I was like, I need to say hi to somebody before I leave this meeting or I'm not going to have any friends here. <laughs> so I, this girl was sitting next yeah. to me and I was like, I like your folder. <laughs> she was like, thanks. I love it. And was like, so stoked. And I was like, you're my new best friend <laughs> and turned out she was in my dorm. So Cassie Bongiovanni, um, was like a, a great name, right? Mm -hmm. She's also really rad now. She does seafloor mapping and she was like, she's like in the discovery plus documentary and stuff. Oh, wow. Um, cool. but she was a big part of me, like following through with the tryouts and staying motivated because she was like another walk on with me. But, um, yeah, I remember two weeks of really intense conditioning that included no rowing. I'm pretty sure it was just like a lot of running and seeing how we moved. They didn't do any cuts, um, mm -hmm. but 
we started with a group of like a hundred and something. And by the end of the two week training period, it was like 60. Mm-hmm. And then after winter break of freshman year, it was like 30 mm-hmm. just for people self-selecting out. Yeah. That's why they go out on campus and do it. Cause they know that the <laughs> yeah. fall off rate is going to be a little yeah. high. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it was kind of a, it was like a really weird experience. I remember being there just feeling like, I don't even know what I'm doing. I've like, nobody's even showed me an or yet. And meanwhile, there were people next to me who I knew had been recruited, who had already rode for eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, there was like, I remember kind of like getting the sense that some, some people on varsity had already been to the Olympics. And I was like, which ones? Like yeah. <laughs> they all look like they could have been to the Olympics. Yeah. I was just, I knew nothing about rowing or rowing culture. I even is my biggest faux pas. I wore a Cal shirt to practice because <gasps> I just didn't know. And my dad went to Cal mm-hmm. and I had Cal stuff growing up. Wow. Did people give you a hard time about Thankfully, it? Thankfully, the novice practice started like 30 minutes before varsity practice. Yeah. And one of the girls who like grew up on the Montlake cut, her family had been in the UW rowing world for a while because her older brother rode too. She like grabbed me and like, I have an extra shirt in my locker. Come with me and like dragged me back and gave me a lot, a, a tank from like San Diego crew classic. Uh-huh. I didn't know what that was. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just had no idea. And I remember calling my dad and being like, I'm sorry to tell you that I can't be a Cal fan anymore. I learned this today. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so oh, everything got folded away, put in the back of a drawer. Yeah. That's how, that's how much I didn't know about UW rowing. If you're a fan of podcasts, try putting your workout in your ears. The free Concept 2 Workout Podcast, As the Flywheel Spins, offers you invigorating workouts to help you strengthen and condition. Coach Katie Hart will lead you through each workout, stroke by stroke. There's nearly 100 workouts to choose from. Find Concept 2's As the Flywheel Spins wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Thanks to everyone who listened to our last episode with Susan Kinney, boatman at Lake Washington Rowing Club. After cracking the bottom of a wooden hull, she never could have guessed that nearly 25 years later, she'd be a master craftsman repairing and building boats of all sizes. Susan is a powerhouse with tools, and when it comes to rowing, her coach Bill Titus says she's tough and has a big engine, and we totally agree. If you missed it or any of our episodes, listen anytime at steadystatenetwork.com slash podcast or on your favorite podcast app. And when you share and review this episode, it helps our podcast get noticed and reach more ears. In two, we're back with Zoe Vase. That's one, two. So what do you remember the first time you got in the boat? I don't remember the first time, but I remember the type of boat we were rowing in was like this old, they called it a seashell. I don't know if that was a nickname. At, no, at that's a, it's a Pocock model. Yeah. Okay. Seashell. It was like real, it had kind of like thick gunnels and the side mounted riggers and mm-hmm. it had like erg style foot straps. So mm-hmm. we would just wear our tennis shoes in, which I remember was like such a sign that you were a novice that you still brought your tennis shoes like down to the docks. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, like the walk-on world is, is strange because we were not even given lockers for like months because they didn't think we would stay. Mm-hmm. So we were all like sharing lockers and we had to bring our stuff with us every time we left. Um, 
Um, but yeah, that's the main thing I remember about being in the boat and that there were some people who had already known how to row who were like unrecruited previous rowers, mm. um, <laughs> folks from smaller clubs who were like, had gone, gone into UW for academics and then walked on also, but knew how to row. So yeah. you had talked um, a minute or so ago about wanting to find something that was going to push you hard and, um, you know, finding a competitive environment. And in the first couple of weeks, you, you didn't get on the water. You finally get on the water. Do you remember some moment where you thought, like, this is what I'm going to do this season? Like, I'm definitely in and sign no. me up. I don't remember feeling like that. Yeah. I think I remember feeling like, oh, this is kind of cool. And like, I, I, I really don't think I, I mean, it sounds bad. I don't think I fell in love with rowing maybe even until I started coaching. Oh, interesting. Like I fell in love with some other element of it. Mm -hmm. I fell in love with like, to be honest, I didn't like the hard work very much. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> not an intrinsically motivated person. Mm. Um, and being me on a team like that was challenging at times because it was sort of like you either have to fly under the radar really successfully or um be with the right group of people to like make it work for what I needed to be right. competitive I yeah. guess um I just wonder what that's like that moment when you're in the middle like you're about to do an erg test and you want to be under the radar like you can't well it's like I want to be either the best which I knew wasn't going to happen for me or I want to be not the bottom. Right. <laughs> <laughs> not so it's last. like, how do I beat that girl? Because she's also a starboard and it's me or her today. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And yeah, like my best, my best 2K ever, my race plan was just a list of teammates names that inspired me. Mm -hmm. And I just did 10 strokes for each of them. Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> like not intrinsically motivated. Yeah. 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 That'd be but hard I, to like, do in that do program. Stuff. Yeah. I like would row if my teammates and I had cohesion and I won and I knew they wanted to win. I'd be like, I'll go hard for you because yeah. it matters to you to win. Mm -hmm. But I could really, yeah, I could really go either way. <laughs> you know, this, this raises a question that actually we brought up, or I think I asked um, Marcus Brown, who's coaching at UW now, which is how do you coach rowers to work hard? Right. And he actually didn't really answer it the way I thought he might. And he actually taught, he flipped it right back to coaching technique. Mm -hmm. um, and but he said, the power is, the power is implied. He's like, I just want to make you row yeah. better. But yeah. I do wonder about that. And I like the ability for a coach to tap into the psyche, like what's the psychology behind pushing rowers to row hard? Mm -hmm. When did you first think I want to be a coach for rowing? I remember that moment very specifically. So I was like coming into my, it was maybe my junior or senior year. And I had like peaked competitively sophomore year and was sort of trying to figure out like, okay, what happens? Like, is it, is this four years for me? Or like, do I just have to like say goodbye to this when I graduate? What's that look like? And then meanwhile, my teammates are like getting ready for, going to national teams mm -hmm. and um and so I remember Bob Ernst who was our head coach but did not coach me directly very often but we had like a nice relationship of saying hi to each other at the boathouse and 
um, he had been talking about, I believe Lori Dauphiny, who had rode for him at some point and he yeah, was like, Princeton. yeah. And he was like, we got a donation from Lori Dauphiny. And I just want to tell you all about who she is. Like she was sort of a middle of the pack rower while she was rowing on the team. And she's gone on to be a really great coach because she cares about the sport and she cares about, and she gets the sport and she cares about athletes. And, um, I was like, so inspired by that. And it was like, that's a path for me in this sport is to be a coach. And I thought about Kaylee Mack, who was my novice coach, who was so inspiring to me and so motivating. And Colin Sykes was a really wonderful coach who coached me most of my time at UW. And so I was like, okay, maybe I could do the internship at UW. So I went to Bob like later, I guess it must've been my senior year. Cause I went to him partway through my senior year and said, can I be the intern coach next year? And he said, something along the lines of like, he looked at me very sternly and I was like, oh no, this is not going to go well. <laughs> yeah. You don't want that. <laughs> like, uh, and he was like, you are exactly the type of person I would want to coach my daughter. So I think that would be great. And I was oh, like, wow. that is so nice, Bob. Thank you so much. Yeah. And um, so then I did the internship the next year, which was like really great and really challenging. The most challenging thing was that a lot of my friends were seniors and that year and so I was like you know coaching the novice b boat or whatever and at a certain point the team the novice and varsity teams mesh the slowest seniors trickle into the novice b boat mm. and so I was like coaching my friends yeah making coaching decisions about my friends that year they also did cuts for the first time in a long time and a lot of the seniors got cut so mm. like some of my friends were like super upset with the program it was really, really challenging. And I was also the only female on staff besides the team manager, um, which just presented less. It wasn't a challenging dynamic in terms of the coaching dynamic necessarily, but more so like I was the only woman for the team members to go to for things. Um, and I could tell that that was a weird dynamic mm -hmm. for them. Mm -hmm. It was a tough year, but I learned that I wanted to work with juniors. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a little curious because you said you um, were working towards a degree in psychology. Is that right? Mm -hmm. And then when you thought, maybe I'll get into coaching, how do those two things mesh for you? I never knew how psychology yeah. was going to fit in yeah. because I studied, I had a double degree in psychology and photo media. No. Oh. Photo media is like photography plus other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then I ended up getting a minor in art history too, Ooh, okay. kind of on accident. And, um, so everybody always was asking me, what are you going to do with that? And I was like, I have no idea. I'll let you know when yeah. I find out, but somebody told me to study what I liked. So that's what I did. And I wasn't thinking about what it amounted to. Yeah. Um, but I knew I wanted to, I mean, to be honest, the selfish side of wanting to coach for UW was like, I wanted folks like Bob to know my name five years after I graduated. I was like, if I don't like leave some kind of imprint on this program, then I will have been anonymous mm -hmm. based on my athletic contributions. Mm -hmm. So I really wanted to make sure that I was like, um, leaving a little bit of a mark where I, where it had left such a big mark on my life. Mm -hmm. hmm. Well, I was just going to relate because yeah, yeah. I, 
I was a, I learned to row in high school, 1986, when I was a teenager, 13. And I don't remember anything more than this was a sport that attracted a lot of pretty people Mm -hmm. and it was difficult. And there was a lot of mud involved when we would go to regattas (laughs) in Philadelphia. There was a lot of mud (laughs) and that there was these great rivalries. And I grew up in Oak Ridge in Tennessee. And I just remember coming back to rowing as an adult when I was about 30. Mm -hmm. And I remember someone saying to me, because I was recruiting people left and right out of coffee shops everywhere to go back to rowing. Like, you should try rowing. You need to try rowing. Because I had returned to row. And they said to me, you would make a great learn to row coach for Mm -hmm. masters. And it's just there's a moment there where you're like, yes, this is how I can (laughs) be part of the sport, get paid for it. And get paid to evangelize essentially, yeah. <laughs> you know, for the sport and then get to inspire the next generation, which in my case would be masters rowers. But I know when you got into it, maybe that's a thought. There's a next generation of rowers that you can help bring up. Yeah. You know, I hadn't thought about this in a little while, but when I decided that I wanted to get into coaching, it actually was fulfilling something I had thought about in college, but never followed through with, which was getting into teaching. And I don't know why I knew in college I wanted to teach, but I was already in an art school program and that's what I did. Mm -hmm. So when the notion of coaching came up, I was like, oh, this might kind of scratch that teaching itch. Mm -hmm. What's funny Mm -hmm. now, it's been so many years. I hadn't really thought about that lately. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. At this pipeline now, I wonder if some people, that's just the expectation, you know, they become a coach, but, um, especially when we hire in the summertime only for people, you know, like Mm -hmm. it's interesting, like why people I've been really advocating for masters to become coaches, Mm -hmm. like masters who want to coach uh, or don't even know it. Like they're a former teacher or a former CEO, but they are mature in their communication. Mm -hmm. They're inspiring, they're encouraging, and they understand rowing and they Mm -hmm. understand fast boats. Like I really think we have a, a good opportunity there. So in terms of the next generation, mm-hmm. what did you do next with your coaching? You were at the UW. I was at the UW, coached there for one year, and then realized that being close in age to the people I was coaching was complicating things. So I, I think my mom was like, you could probably coach a high school team. <laughs> I was like, cool. So I found a listing for a coaching position at Pocock and interviewed for that. And then they called me back and said, we can offer you the coaching position and then also a full-time job filled out by foundation work if you want to do the AmeriCorps program up to, which was um then called coach across America but it's mm. up to us sports and I was like I don't know what that is <laughs> um maybe <laughs> and I agreed to it and it ended up being really awesome because they were like co- teaching the trauma-informed coaching stuff um and maybe kind of earliest early-ish in doing that mm. um so my first two years coaching at Pocock I ended up being part of the up to us AmeriCorps program for two years and that was just such a great layer for me to learn how to be a coach because it helped me take what I learned at UW which is my only experience with rowing and then like get some of the D1 athletics mindset out of it mm. and make it appropriate for eighth grade and high school mm-hmm. girls, which was awesome because, um, I really needed that softening and like, not just d- 
doing what I had seen done in coaching. Um, yeah. Finding your own voice as a coach. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, and there, they provided such good mentorship, which I really loved. Um, there was like monthly calls with my mentor for up to us. So I would call him and be like, Hey, this thing happened at practice. I wasn't sure if my reaction was like the right route or if there's an up to us thing that I should be implementing here. And it was just really great to have like a sounding board who kind of wow. like sort of knew the answers in some fashion that was different than what I had learned by watching. Yeah. I think we could all benefit from uh, <laughs> someone we could call. You can call yeah. Me. <laughs> you know, I mean, we talk about this, like this notion of we should be able to turn to the other coaches on staff or mm -hmm. a board, you know, the right. board, but there's a silo culture and there's with like, growing coaches, either that or, or I don't know, or, or we just don't feel like we can turn to them, but definitely having a mentor like that is amazing. So when you go from a D1 team culture to a high school girls and, and middle school girls culture, and you're trying to make practice time, this constant loving, encouraging place, how did you make that transition? So I think for me, like it was very easy to make it constantly encouraging and loving because I want it to be like that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, it was more so like, how do I make it still competitive rowing? Cause that's what we're doing on this team. And um, it was, it was like, Hmm. How do you put it together? I think I was like, I'm just so filled with joy hanging out with goofy middle schoolers. And it was really fun to kind of have this perspective of like, what things would have helped me have a better experience in this sport mm -hmm. when I was learning. And I made a lot of mistakes my first year in part because there were things that I learned through osmosis at UW, like nobody taught them to me explicitly, but I learned because there were enough people who knew rowing around me. Mm -hmm. Like it was clear where to stand when you were moving a boat because there were seven other people to kind of just follow along with. Mm -hmm. So I had to like really think hard about every single decision. Cause I was like, I don't know how to teach carrying a boat because that I never got taught. Mm -hmm. I just like stand there. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and then, you know, the bodies are half as big too. So it's like, okay, we need 12 of you to carry this boat right. instead of eight of you. Um, but I think it was a lot of like trying to slow down, trying to notice my reactions to stuff and like pause it, slow it down. And then really to like, think about what is, what is this kid experiencing? What do they think is going on? Mm -hmm. And if I put myself in their perspective of like being a kiddo, who's trying to learn something that might be overwhelming and, and like you might not know the question that you need to ask because you don't know enough to begin with. Mm -hmm. um, how would, how can I approach that with like curiosity instead of why aren't you paying attention? Right. So we just got really into this, like we're all constantly learning me too. Like we're figuring this out together. And um, I think if you, it's more of a mindset than like things I did. It's like, how do I work with this group of, I think it was like 20 kids the first year. How do I work with this group to make sure we're all having the time of our lives? We're all learning a bunch about rowing. We're getting excited about rowing and we're like treating each other really well. Right. And me then, included. And then hopefully that leads to the outcomes that totally you're fast, for. fast yeah. boats. Fast yeah. boats. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks to our patrons and Concept2 for helping to make this episode possible.
into we're back with Zoe Vase. That's one, two. So um, we are curious. We wanted to talk with you about Camp Lucy. We found out about you through um, learning about Camp Lucy at the George Pocock Rowing Foundation annual breakfast not too long ago. And it really sparked my interest. You know, I uh, grew up playing sports and have always loved supporting girls who want to be athletic and use their bodies and not be afraid of that. Because I'm sure you could talk about um, data points about how many girls get out of sports by the time they're like 12, 13 years old. So, you know, that breakfast where I met you and learned about Camp Lucy within like 45 minutes. I was like, this is amazing. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, So we'd like to know a little bit about Camp Lucy's inception. Could you talk to us about how it came to be? Because it's relatively new. It's very new. Yeah. Um, So I think Camp Lucy's inception was Jen Gibbons, our executive directors, um, had this dream of making a camp that was inspired by Lucy's legacy. Um, Lucy was George's sister and she has her own very cool rowing story. Like she won a singles race in England that the, the money she won helped her move to the U S she like would row her single to and from UW where she worked every day. Um, at the time the Montlake cut was being built. Her husband was on the construction or her future husband was on the construction team and like saw this rad woman ride. uh, rowing her boat through their little channel that they had just built and he was like she's cool I want to meet her and she's the one for me (laughs) yeah and so I just think her story is really cool the the fact that she just really had a love of the sport and continued to pursue it despite the fact that it wasn't very typical and she really fought to help get the UW women's team kind of up and running I think she ultimately left because she didn't get a lot of support mm-hmm. in that project. Well, because that was when that was night or... 1907 or something. Really? Yeah. yeah, I think yeah. Um, so she's um, she's really great, and so we wanted to. Jen had this idea to to do something to honor Lucy's legacy and make it a more girl centric program, um, and then posted a job for that essentially, and I was like that's my dream job. (laughs) My dream job is like I've coached novice girls for six years. And I think, I mean, I, it's, I feel like I have these moments where I'm like, everybody must want to do this because it's the best job ever. And then somebody says something to me like, Oh, wow, you're really a special breed that you like working with novices. Uh And I was like, is that special? Cause I think it should be everybody's priority. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but I love working with novices and I do think that I take a slightly different approach than like other novice coaches I've met. So um, I was really excited about knowing that I'm taking on this grad program and that my career path might be kind of having a couple turns in the upcoming future. I wanted something to like encapsulate what I had learned by coaching the novices here for so many years and to kind of marry it with all the work I'd done in the foundation over those years too and package it up so that we can teach it to other people. How would you say your approach is different from the other coaches? I think that, I think a lot of 
novice coaches get kind of caught between it's either all fun and it's not competitive or it's all competitive and it's zero fun. Mm. And I don't like, I haven't been to very many other novice coach practices, but worked with a number of the other novice coaches that have been here who've just been like, so challenged by that duality. And, um, and I think it's, I think I benefit from the fact that I was not cut out for UW's program to begin with, but I made it through somehow. And, um, so I think for me, like the fun was the priority the whole time. Like I was only there for the fun because I wasn't getting anything out else out of it. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of other coaches kind of gets, get really excited about the competitive part and have a hard time, like getting novices who have an array of goals, or maybe they don't want to be on a rowing team at all. And their parents sign them up into this competitive objective and, since my objective was always to mesh with my teammates as much as possible. Cause that's what I think makes a boat go fast. That was my objective with the team. It's like, how do we make this team the perfect cohort of friends who are come from all different types of social groups and all different levels of their high school, you know, social status or whatever, and bring them together to be awesome teammates to each other, because that's what makes you pull hard and go fast together. Mm-hmm. So with camp Lucy, who is Camp Lucy meant for? Who's Who needs to come to Camp Lucy? Camp Lucy is meant for girls inclusive of other gender minorities and people of color and people who face socioeconomic barriers trying to get involved with rowing. Or maybe they haven't tried to get involved with rowing, but they wouldn't because of barriers they would face. Um, so the idea for Camp Lucy is that it's a summer camp format um, it will include all of the fun of a summer, summer camp. Like there's going to be games, there's going to be crafts, there's going to be awesome lunches. And it will also be like trying to put all of the goodness of like the best case scenario novice year into a two week little package mm-hmm. so that you can learn all your basic rowing skills and then also have like so much fun and draw those connections that rowing can teach us about life and life skills and like using tools to try to like fix something on a boat and Mm -hmm. how much empowerment that gives for young, young people and young women specifically. Um, and try to like figure out how to capture that in a short sampleable program Mm -hmm. rather than asking novices in a young age group to like commit to a season or a whole school year. We're curious what sort of experiences or perspectives you share with the rowers that are going to be participating in Camp Lucy. I think that I share like, and I don't know, I started rowing knowing nothing about rowing. And as I'm working on building the curriculum, I'm really trying to think about like, not what, not what does the rowing community think novice rowers need to learn, but what do these kids want to learn when they show up? And, you know, I've worked with, I've worked with the novice group enough that it's really fun to kind of like let the curiosity guide how you learn stuff rather than like spring season regionals guiding how you learn stuff. Um, so I think that's like the biggest thing maybe that I share is like, an introductory to the sport when maybe you don't have any preconceived notions of it. 
there's a lot of things I don't share with who we want to come to Camp Lucy, which is part of the reason we're really trying to like learn from other programs and other people so that it's culturally sensitive and culturally competent and appropriate for the folks we're inviting to come down. How are you finding them? The athletes? The kids to come to Camp Lucy. So, so far we've done two mini pilots that were like three day weekends and we partnered with, um, a nonprofit for the first one and a school for the second one. Mm. The nonprofit we partnered with is called the Congolese Integration Network. And we got connected with them through the King County Play Equity Coalition. Mm -hmm. Um, And that ended up being a mixed gender group, which was in like a very big age range, which was fun because we learned some things we were trying to learn and then like not at all other things we were trying to learn. So then for our second pilot, we're like, cool, let's go for like exactly the age range that we're looking for. So we partnered with the middle school um, and it was a little bit more. Yeah. That taught us like kind of the other half of the things we were trying to learn. So for our second pilot, we partnered with Seattle girls school, which is a private school. that does a lot of scholarship and has a really diverse population. Um, And it was really fun to have those two pilots, which were so different and so similar in some ways. And for our first full sessions this summer, we're going to have, we've invited CIN and Seattle Girls School to try to get six athletes each. And then we're going to try to fill the rest of the camp with kind of, we don't really have a word for it, but like raw recruits, like people that are people we've gathered from email interest or Mm -hmm. posting flyers or whatever. So we're going to try to see if we can create kind of a mixed meshed group crowd and some people who are not affiliated with any partners. You probably remember Road of the Future. Mm -hmm. So when Road of the Future was around with Pocock Foundation, the idea was to go to sort of people for whom rowing wouldn't be an obvious choice. We'll we'll Mm -hmm. call it that either financially, geographically, culturally. Mm -hmm. And then they were funneled into an established program kind of near where they lived. What's a positive outcome? How will you know Camp Lucy is a success? Yeah. So Camp Lucy is not aiming to be a recruitment program. Mm -hmm. We're aiming to be a sampleable program with the, with the like other programs of the foundation available as like, if you want to continue rowing, we can help you do that because we have all these other resources set up in our existing scholarship and connections with other boathouses to support a youth who wants to do that. We're doing surveys at the beginning and end. It's a sur- It's like very similar to the survey that I did with my athletes through the Up to Us program, which is sort of like more measuring more social emotional skills sort of stuff um, to see if the program has creates any change in like self esteem mm. or um, your feeling of like being able to work with team on something or your feeling of security around, like, do you have a, a caring adult in your life, mm-hmm. um, to see if we can measure that. Which is totally different than just looking at like retention numbers and saying, mm-hmm. oh, great. 57% have chosen to continue with yeah. another program with us. Yeah. And I really have been thinking about like, sure the goal is continued participation but i have no expectation of what that looks like Mm -hmm. like ideally once the program has a little bit more momentum and growth to it we can have like camp lucy second second season attendees where you come back and you like get a little bit more advanced rowing experience or we'll do like field trips to pocock racing shells workshop or something like that would be really cool Mm -hmm. and i'm 
in my brain calling it the Camp Lucy legacy program where you would like be able to stay in touch in still like a really low commitment way. But if you care about it, you can come back to it and you don't have to necessarily give up your other sport that you care about or figure out how to manage the logistics of getting to a boathouse when you maybe also have to like do more responsibilities at home. Um, and you can still participate regularly in a different way. Mm -hmm. And, um, and really trying to think about like, yeah, what, what could, what are the many versions of continued participation, even like your story, like coming back to it so Mm -hmm. many years later, Mm -hmm. that's continued participation. Mm -hmm. If, if a kid from Camp Lucy has a positive enough experience that years from now, they want to try out rowing as an adult, then like, that's a win. We Mm -hmm. succeeded because we exposed them to the sport. We gave them like that awesome little nugget of like, wow, rowing is a place that I could be. And hopefully that creates some kind of connection that allows them to participate however they want, rather than us telling them how they want. You know, I just had this notion, this kind of aha light bulb moment, which is, you know, as kids, we go to sporting events sometimes, if we are lucky, we get the chance to go to sporting events with family, friends, whatever. And the sporting events are usually the things that we all know about basketball games, football games, baseball stadium, you get excited to go to those things and watch your home team or whatever. But if there was something like that, where you've got a cohort of kids who have come through Camp Lucy, mm-hmm. and now you're saying, well, let's all go watch opening day together yeah, or something exactly. like that. Um, so that there's a social aspect to it and yeah, see what happens from there. Yeah. It's probably like any kid going to a great summer camp that they go, Mm -hmm. like it's a family tradition. It's a heritage thing. Like they go Mm -hmm. to the same summer camp every year Mm -hmm. or or something like that. There's no expectation that you like do other summer camp things the rest of the year. Right. But you can like be going to a summer camp and feel connected to that community even once a year. Mm-hmm. Well, and even Marcus Brown, he, that's his experience. Fairmont Boat Club only held, at least what we know of, only held these summer youth camps for underserved kids in Philadelphia because mm-hmm. he never, because when he wanted to row year round, yeah. he had to be invited by a boat club on Boathouse Row mm-hmm. to row with them mm-hmm. rather than Fairmont having a, yeah, I think that was his experience. Yeah. Well. Yeah. He said he got involved like that first year as a, as a um, part of a camp. And then he said to us, he didn't have, like, there was nothing for him to do after that. Yeah. And so it kind of took a few years for him to figure out how to get re involved and yeah. moving forward as a high school student. Yeah. And then like the other side of the foundation work that I've sort of seen up close is the ERGED program, which mm-hmm. I was working through my up to us agreement. I was doing the in-classroom ERGED instruction and training the teachers and kids would get so stoked at Urget. They'd be like, this is the bad, like, this is the raddest. I love it. It's mm-hmm. so cool. How do I go on a boat? And I'd be like, here's all the information. And then we would like never hear from them. Mm-hmm. And as like a guest instructor through a school system, I had like very little leverage to get a hold of their parents or like mm-hmm. get something home to them. And that was always really frustrating to have like a really great experience with a youth in a classroom and see them like have the spark. And then to feel like, I don't know what, I don't know what barriers you have that would keep you from coming to a boathouse. Or even if like, even if there's just like perceived barriers, like, oh, maybe it's, maybe it's too far. Maybe it's too expensive or whatever, without even looking it up yet. 
Um, but I can't even communicate to you that our program, that we have a scholarship program mm -hmm. or like, I can't like really get that information across the way I want to. So um, we're trying to kind of fill that gap with things like Camp Lucy and another new program we're starting called Discovery Crew that are trying to like find like where the leak is in the youth pipeline and between ERGED and after school programs mm -hmm. and not necessarily leading to after school program participation, but more ways to participate in the sport. Just like you could rent a kayak and like sample kayaking without having to do mm -hmm. like kayaking team for a year to be able to figure out if you like kayaking. I like your, I like the leak in the pipeline. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, there are lots of breaks in pipelines as well. There's just nothing to follow up on a learn true. And then, mm -hmm. I mean, and that's at all levels. I see that the master's level, mm -hmm. like the, because the learn to rows are scheduled like at weird times of the season, besides like the national learn to row day in June, sometimes you've got a learn to row day in like late August and then, or September, and then the season's starting to wrap up and yeah. you kind of lose all these people yeah. because you don't know what to do with them next and they don't know what to do next. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's not as obvious. And we have the same issue with adaptive rowers at CSPR where we hear from a teacher at a school about a student or we hear from a recreational therapist about a student, but then there's privacy rules. And so you know, you've got someone excited about it and you're like, but how do I get to them? I don't really I can't. know how to go where we go next mm -hmm. on either end. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we have kind of a, a little bit of a controversial question. Mm -hmm. We wanted to throw it out there. Okay. So we noticed that in the materials for Camp Lucy, there was an emphasis on it being very gender inclusive. And so it's female identifying, you know, there's a lot of ways of, of saying it, mm -hmm. but so the list that we read was female identifying, female, non-binary, non trans, gender non-conforming, trans, and gender non-conforming youth, mm -hmm. right? So we're wondering the movement to make the entire rowing community inclusive, right? And there is a push right now with gendered, very gendered sports like men throwing, women's rowing. Mm -hmm. And there's actually a rower in Spokane that's a supporter of, of ours and, and friend of ours, Bobby Kaiser, who tried to come to head of the lake and race as non-binary and had a, a pretty decent experience. You know, not there's no solution to that quite yet. But we're wondering, just like there's a Camp Lucy, would there ever be a Camp Stan that is actually male identifying, mm -hmm. trans-masculine uh, non-binary, like that's really what's the way that you kind of put it was like, why do the girls get to carry the load of being gender inclusive? Yeah. Oh, that's a really good question. I mean, we don't want to sound really crass, but like that's where the conversation has gone. That's where well, I think that's really yeah. good. And I had not thought about it that way. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't think about it as the girls carrying the load. Um, I was more so feeling like when we had that conversation on the staff, it was like, okay, there's a girls camp. And I was like, what do we do if a like Seattle girls school student uses he, they pronouns wants to come Do you tell that kid? No, because that's not what an inclusive camp looks like to me just mm -hmm. to, to tell that kid. No. So we sort of, I talked about it with um, a friend of mine who works for, for the um, what's it called skate, like a girl mm -hmm. and talk to them about how they do their like skate, like a girl gender inclusive programming. I was like, how do you find the balance there? And um, they gave me some advice about what they had learned through the, the 
different workshops they had held at their program. And yeah, so I mean, frankly, the farthest we've gotten in the conversation is like, who do we explicitly say is welcome here mm -hmm. that like we're creating space for you. I don't know about Camp Stan. I like that. <laughs> I, so I thought of it yesterday. I was like, Camp Stan! <laughs> because we were talking about it and, and it just feels like without knowing it, you can assume or you can be confident that a girl-centric, female-centric, feminine-centric environment is going to be safer for a non-conforming, non-binary, someone in the middle, queer, mm -hmm. uh, just some kid who's just out there experimenting, that is going to be a safer environment than traditionally uh, a boy, boy-centric, male-centric. And mm -hmm. I would love to challenge that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think, I think that's, that should be challenged. I think there's so much love. I have a 14 year old in my life and there's so much love in that generation. I mean, there's jerks, of course, there always will be, but there's so much love for this particular new generation coming up for someone being who they are. Mm -hmm. Right. Much, I, oh, much wider, much yeah. more yeah. tolerant and much more welcoming and, and inclusive. So we kind of want to throw you a little curveball there. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I don't know. I can't speak to like camp stand necessarily because I have no idea. We literally have, that's the first time that thought has come into my mind. But I think the, the way we got to that language for Camp Lucy is like seeing how much the kids are requesting it and asking about it. Like in the last two years that I was working with you through, through the pandemic, doing private lessons and then um, through sort of our like, pod rowing and singles um during the pandemic like it just really like shifted about what the kids were asking me about and i was like i already feel like i'm pretty good at like let's say our pronouns but i forget sometimes or whatever and just the way that the kids were like continuing to lead that and mm. require it and ask for it was very very cool because like i for example is a great example like we were in a group of like my eight, my eight athletes who were coming for our pod, our pod novice rowing. And, um, I looked at the group and I was like, this is a group of girls. And we went around and said names. And then after we had finished, one of the kids was like, coach, so we didn't, we didn't do pronouns. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. We didn't do pronouns when I'd like totally done pronouns with the other pod mm. 30 minutes, you know, an hour or two earlier. And so we went around and did pronouns and like, everybody had pronouns that I think were fairly predictable by looking at them, but it was like, this is the point, like make it standard, make it the, make it the exercise so that it's always safe and it's not dependent on who's there. And then at some point we had an athlete join that group who, who I think maybe might be non-binary, but didn't express that. And I was really grateful that that athlete was in this group where I knew that the kids were like the first, the first supportive group. Mm -hmm. Right. And mm -hmm. like, I just felt really glad that even though we were sort of like the novice girls pod that I didn't feel concerned about whether or not this kid was going to be supported there because I knew that nobody was going to be like, this is the novice girls pod. They would be like, <laughs> 
you're our teammate and we're super stoked you're here because you're awesome. And yeah. Um, so I think that's what we're trying to get with camp Lucy. And it's, it's cool to see, like we did have, um, some non-binary kids come to our second pilot and it was really cool to like, see that dynamic and like figure out how to make camp Lucy. Like it's, you know, we're learning constantly as we try to build this program and learning from kids is a great way to learn and learning what, you know, what we were prepared for and what we aren't prepared for is a great way to learn. And we expect to be continuously learning as we go through it. I love that the kids pushed you. Yeah. Yeah. I loved it too, because I felt like I was like, I'm so good at this. I have name and pronouns on my schedule for today. And then I just totally forgot in that moment of like feeling comfortable. And it was just such a good reminder, you know? And I think like, I think there's, yeah. Question. Oh, I was just thinking about, you know, it's like something that I, so I'm a coach with DC Strokes Rowing Club, and that is the oldest LGBTQ uh, rowing club in the country. And uh, you never know who you're going to get, right? And one thing I've I've been trying as a coach to get more used to is that I'm not saying the women's vote. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not actually sure what I'm saying instead yet. I haven't quite like settled on something, right? But it's it's not the women's vote. It's more you four are going out in that boat today. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, a, do you know Lizzie Simons? She does. So you would love Lizzie. Lizzie does uh, trauma informed coaching, cool. rowing. She lives in Arizona. She's amazing. She did. I've gone to a number of her seminars and cool. sessions. She's taught it quite a bit. You, you'd like her a lot. Um, and she, I think it was her, somebody out here on the West coast, um, shifted. And what they say is the shell name. Yeah. They say, you know, the beast. Okay. Everybody who's in the beast. You're going out Mm -hmm. now. And, um, they, they had a different way of referring to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But something about the boat name. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, I, I remember like my second year coaching the PRC novices. I had a kid who, again, I was like, I'm not sure what your gender identity is. And maybe you're not sure yet. And like, that's okay. So I was feeling very self-conscious about language. So I was like, we're not going to call ourselves the novice girls this year, just out of precaution. We ended up being the novice squirrels, which everybody was really excited about. <laughs> and they really identified with being squirrels. And um, it's just like, that's been like figuring out how to at first be just like, let's just try to make this not gendered is such a good exercise for us as coaches. Um, and then, you know, working with coaches, meeting other people who have different skills. Like I started referring to everybody as team instead of all right, girls, it's like Mm -hmm. all right team. And, um, but I'm trying now to like push myself further and not just make it like, Oh, I'm just making it vaguely, <laughs> vaguely non-gender and said, like, how do we make this actively inclusive? Mm-hmm. And I do think, I don't know exactly the magic mix for that, but I do think it is like a different gear. And, um, in my own experience, so much of it is like just getting your mouth comfortable with mm-hmm. new stuff. Mm-hmm. And like, we can do that. Like yeah. we learn new stuff all the time uh- with technology coming out and new boat stuff coming out. Like mm-hmm. there's so much there's so much um, ability for that. And it's just a matter of us like dedicating ourselves to it. Fantastic. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
to see photos of Zoe Base, and to get links to the people, clubs, and events mentioned in this episode, check out the show notes on our website. The support of our amazing patrons has enabled us to produce 50 episodes of Steady State Podcast and change the media narrative about rowing. Join our Patreon community for as little as $5 per month, and you'll be the first to know about new podcast episodes, get Steady State freebies, and store discounts. Find out more at SteadyStateNetwork.com slash Patreon. Hey, Tara, I think some listeners might not know that Steady State is more than a podcast. Totally. We should definitely tell them. We've got virtual events happening every week that bring together the rowing community from across the country and actually around the world. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. I really look forward to Friday mornings when we get together for coffee chat on Instagram Live because we get to talk about rowing and racing and technique. But we also delve into things like DEI and motivation slumps. And it's always neat when rowers from around the world tune in. And so we hope you'll join us on Fridays, 8 o'clock West, 11 o'clock East on Instagram Live. Grab your favorite mug and add your voice to our conversation. And we also know that everyone sometimes needs buddies to help get them through long pieces on the erg. I know I do. So we lead Steady State Sundays the fourth Sunday, basically, of each month at 6.45 a.m. West, 9.45 a.m. East. And when you register for the 60-minute Steady State Erg workout, we give cues and insights to keep you motivated along the way. So you can work at your own pace and then stick around after to chat. Yeah, I really like that at your own pace. I row at about a 16. (laughs) So um, if you want to find out more about any of our events and claim your spot in our lineup, go ahead and visit steadystatenetwork.com slash events. Steady State Podcast is brought to you by me, Tara Morgan. And me. Rachel Friedman. Between us, we have 33 years of rowing, coaching, and coxing experience and running successful rowing-related enterprises. Tara is the founder of Seize the Oar Foundation, where they champion inclusion in the sport of rowing through team training, outreach, and thought leadership. And Rachel is the founder of RowSource, the original resource for master's rowers. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at Seize the Oar and RowSource. Thanks so much for listening in two way enough. That's one, two way enough.